Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So dealing with pressure and you know that moment when you're in a big meeting and you kind of know like this is this is my time. You know, this is the time where things happen. Um, sometimes I used to get that when I was even in ha- telling a story to a big group. You just kind of get those like it's a little bit more butterflies. It's just a different feeling. A lot of <clears throat> and so what I've I've read a really good book um, that's on kind of the pressure. It's called the Pressure Principle, and what it deals with is how do you perform your best when it counts, basically. So one thing is I had a a really large meeting the other day with a ton of executives, and I was, you know, it's a it was a big meeting for us, for me personally. So I really cared about it. So I spent a lot of time obviously preparing. But one thing that really helped me in the moment was this mindset shift of uh, that anxiety is extra fuel. So it's like if you want to have a great performance, you have to use that as fuel. What it what it does is it heightens your concentration and that emotion that you feel can be kind of... Uh, it can be uh, translated into something that is, you know, a better product in yourself. So, you know, everybody talks about like, oh, the NBA finals, like that's when the best performances are, which I do think it's true. But I just think on a, a personal level, like going into a meeting, I felt that my focus was a lot greater. And I think before understanding that sometimes I was a little afraid of what was going on because you feel different. You know, there's more, emo- there's more, you could feel your hands more. There's just more things going on. You're more aware. And I think I used to be very intimidated by what that feeling was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there is a pretty powerful um, sort of don't be nervous message that is mm-hmm. pushed into people's heads since, mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, you know. Yeah, like relax. Uh, yeah, relax. Oh, it's not that big of Don't a deal. You're going onto, sta- onto the stage to speak to the whole student body. It doesn't matter. Who cares if you, they screw up? Imagine they're all in their underwear, you know, lower the pressure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, that's what the response has been. Well, deflect. Lower, deflect, yeah. Mm-hmm. Reduce in intensity as opposed to the idea of use it as rocket fuel. You know, mm-hmm. put it in the gas chamber and then turn it into something really, really useful. And you immediately sparked my um, my memory of when I did my first TEDx talk mm-hmm. uh, about um, mental health and well, it's about suicide and apple cores, I believe is the title on YouTube. But uh, I checked the other day, thirty. I think it had thirty three thousand views, which I thought was nice. pretty cool. Nice. That's big. Yeah, it's not bad. Watch it. Yeah. Once the Repus Room users get a hell of a Oh, I know. Go. Careful. It, their YouTube server is going to crash. Yeah. But, uh, Google, heads up. Yeah. FYI. So um, I remember working. I was really into yoga and meditation at that time. And so I got to the stage early and I sat and practiced and like was in a, was trying to really reduce my anxiety level and my nervousness Mm -hmm. and I actually think that I was too low energy I think that I um, had actually over practiced I had the thing so sort of mechanized yes that Mm -hmm. I don't think I allowed my authentic voice to break through the mold Mm -hmm. which um, 
I find that I do my best public speaking when I allow uh, that sort of authenticity to break through. And that was an instance where I looked back on it and I was like, you know, I kind of, I kind of uh, like sort of shunned that anxiety or did my best to have that not be a component. And I, I regretted it afterwards because I recognized that I didn't really knock it out mm-hmm. from an energetic perspective. Yep. And I think that if I would have um, perhaps harnessed that in a different way, uh, maybe there'd be, maybe I would have been on the Ted, you know, the Got stage or whatever, you know, who knows? The yeah. big Ted. The big Ted. Cause I was on the TEDx, which yep. Independently organized event, but still really great and very much a a learning that I I recall. It was a great, it was a great, uh, you know, I was proud to be in the, in the stands watching. I I was there. Thank you. And I, I think it was an amazing experience to just see you get up there and do it and try. And so, yeah. And, and, but this other thing that, I mean, in terms of turning anxiety into fuel, um, I think that is a message that not only should be applied to pressure situations, but to your every effing day life. Oh, for sure. So your body's sending you a signal. Exactly. So listen to it. And what I found myself in this, we'll just use this meeting for an example, is I was more emotionally charged. Sure. So I was landing my points with people and I was saying things that well, you I were didn't probably rehearse. You probably let your guard down a little bit. I did. And right. I connected with people and yeah. I was, you know, I just remember there was a woman who there was a shift in her body and I picked up on it, commented and said, is, is there something else that you have a question on? And mm-hmm. she didn't say anything. And she was like, well, actually, yes. And mm-hmm. I could just, it was just the energy shift. And I tried to pick up on it, not put her on the spot, Sure, but that was a productive thing in our discussion. And, you know, it's just like being aware of these little things. I think if you just get into the performance more and get into your kind of go mode. Um, well, and I think that mentality doesn't try and negate a already existing phenomena that is that regardless of what you do mm-hmm. is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Second, that I walk out onto the stage if I try and tell myself, oh, my heart isn't racing or whatever, that's a rejection of the available energy that like is accessible in the moment. Well, then you're fighting the emotion. Exactly. And, and then you're not, and then I retreated back to the script, you know? which you did a great job. And I think it's a great, but an amazing learning experience to kind of look back on that and say, wow, this is what I should be doing. Um, and I do think I found myself even still today. I do that where I try to push that emotion away and not use mm-hmm. it as fuel. Cause mm-hmm. It is a powerful human emotion. And there's one thing that I figured out that I just, you know, now I know a lot more in sales is the logic of the experience. So you can have, when you're trying to change somebody's mind, which that's what you're doing in sales. And that's what we do in meetings is you try to change people's minds Mm -hmm. is you have the logical argument, but people do not make decisions because of a logical argument. They make decisions based on their emotion and how they feel. So to impact how people feel, you have to get them to feel what you feel and what you think. And that's been something that has changed me and the way we approach meetings. And I found that to be a more satisfying. I mean, it feels better after the meeting because it's like, I, I left it all out out there. You know, that was me. Yeah, yep. That wasn't like some doctored script that we all went through beforehand. Sure. You know, and I think too, when we were, so we drove down together, there was a group of us. How many people? So there was three people in person and one on the phone. 
And what I what I found awesome is we all give ourselves kind of some leash and some rope to like ad lib because that's when we're at our best. Sure. There was one one you know instance where somebody there was a whiteboard. Somebody got up and started drawing out everything on the whiteboard, just ad lib, mm-hmm. and it just locked in the understanding for everybody else. Sure. And it was just totally in the moment and such a good way. But again, using that and harnessing that energy to kind of feel out what's going on instead of like you in the moment being like, I don't know what I should do. And there's like this pressure of doing something. Well, was it by chance the doc? Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Oh, of um, course. I, uh, there's a gentleman who I work with who's, who's a whiteboard guy. Whiteboard I mean, guy. Yeah, I love whiteboards. He's, it helps. It very much does help organize thinking. Although if you go to the whiteboard, you're trying to control things. You for sure are. You're saying, this is the path. Yep. This is how we're going to walk. This is how we're going to think. This is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a really great skill to be able to do skillfully and tactfully. Yeah, when it's appropriate. When it's appropriate. I've also seen people go up to the whiteboard and you're just like, well, then there's the we, wrote some, we wrote some effing words on the board. Sweet. Yeah. Synergy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get the, it's, the, the it's consultant a big risk, up it's there. A, it's a big risk reward. Yeah, you know? it is. Tune in, tune off, mm-hmm. or, um, to, you know, well, like tune, the, tune in or tune out, really. Well, which is interesting. We had a whiteboard in this meeting and didn't use it. Well, I thought he went this to the whiteboard. Meeting. Oh, but the thing so is... They, there's different meetings. Positionally, too, though... The, I mean, I'm more acutely aware of the team that you're talking about, and he was the exact perfect person to go to the whiteboard oh, in that is. instance in terms of yeah. credibility and years in the industry and et cetera. So, I mean, obviously that was that was aptly timed and, and, and well thought thought out. Mm-hmm. But um, this, this idea of using anxiety as, as fuel is something that I really come back to all of the time whenever I'm speaking with young adults who are experiencing mental illness. Okay. Where people say, oh, I'm just so effing depressed. And the idea of using that depression as fuel is not really what the focus is of, of their thinking. It's like, well, I'm really depressed, so I should get medication or whatever. Mm-hmm. And for me... My my thing is always like, well, what are you stress? What it, what are you sad about? Mm-hmm. Oh, all my friends are out at school, and I'm just sitting at home. So, are you thinking about going to school? You're sitting. You know, like yeah. how do you turn that feeling of self loathing of self loathing mm-hmm. into fuel to do something about it? Mm-hmm. And turning that corner intellectually is really challenging. And you have to trust the people that you are with and you have to trust yourself and you have to come to some serious like forgiveness for those who are in your life. And I'm not saying that everybody should just always be there and be able to turn the corner right away. Yeah. Well, how do you do? I mean, how do you do that? How do you do what? What's like, so somebody says that to you. I'm just really sad. Playbook. Yep. Like what is what are some things that you think work? Because I think all of us in our lives know people like this. Yep. I mean, you're at a bar and some guy pulls you aside and says it. You know, like, what, what, what's the playbook? Let's just say somebody you care about. Sure. Um, um, for me, it usually ends in reframing their understanding of themselves hmm. through encouragement. Okay. So... Somebody, 
gosh, I'm trying, I'm thinking of this young woman. Um, she used to, well, uh, that's a different, um, that's a different story, but I'll, I'll, maybe I'll land on the, on the real reason behind this other young adult. But, um, one woman will oftentimes talk about how she was feeling stressed and how she's feeling overworked and how she thinks she's failing and she thinks she's bad. And then she has all these sort of identity crises in a row. Mm -hmm. And so then I will ask questions about, Oh, you know, why do you feel that way? Try and get a few pieces of information about why that's important to them. Mm -hmm. Like what really is the kernel of truth that is going on? And then it typically involves me sharing my perspective saying, well, you know, you're in the chemical engineering program and you want to graduate a year ahead. And you're telling me about how depressed you are because you're struggling to graduate a year ahead in one of the third most challenging programs in the entire country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're beating yourself up because you might have to drop back to take it in four years. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you must work your effing ass off. You must be a amazing, dedicated person who, yeah, perhaps you're having like a little bit of an adjustment right now in terms of your your expectations. Yeah. But, you know, you're really incredible. And it always ends up in this, or I find the most effective place to end up in is the cementing of somebody's personality in a positive light based on the information that they give you. So if I say that I'm a really bad, you know, mathematician or chemist and I can't make it in three years in graduating the chemical en- energy mm-hmm. pro, well, that's not really what you're talking about. What you're talking about is your fear of failure arising because you're not good enough at what you have intended to do. So you think you're, you're not good enough, mm-hmm. right? So what I tell you is you're definitely good enough you're definitely talented. Mm-hmm. You're definitely going to accomplish these things. And and then what, what really is always the kicker is to be awestrucken by the individual and their expression of that inherent gift. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. one where you see somebody turn the corner when you say, and it's so amazing that you have done this and this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even believe it. You must be Superman XYZ mm-hmm. and then people it doesn't matter where they are they'll get this tiny little look on their face and they'll go fucking finally somebody rem- recognizes this mm-hmm. yeah like you're <laughs> dealing with so much I see it yeah exactly and, and so think, it's it's the validation component yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I've so I, just quick I've noticed from my conversations with people that I around that I'm close to that I talk to and I, I've seen that change to say like you are actually amazing because I don't think people really genuinely feel that no that like feedback of you are a good person. Yep. And I've seen that even with like significant others, it does a really good job to just identify like something. You little, are a good person. This like, is one wow, of your thank strengths. You this is for one of your skills. Making me dinner and like really yeah. mean it mm-hmm. in a way where you can kind of connect with them and just say, you know, I'm lucky to have you thank you for making me dinner mm-hmm. like boom it will impact people and you got to mean it too i mean it's not like this you know insert line just like we talked about earlier of the yeah. script it's like emotionally feel it and then connect with them and say you know thank you like this is i'm lucky for 
hearing this and I appreciate you for that. And you are working hard. Like you're dealing with a lot because a lot of people, and this is what I found myself being, I, I've really had to work on this is jumping in and giving my opinion. Sure. Of like, I've identified this in the situation. I know how to fix it rather than like staying back. And that's been such a difficult thing for me is pulling my personal like problem solver out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, we chatted about this in the past that more often when people are saying, I don't know what to do, they're not actually telling you what to do. They're te- they're saying, I don't know what to do. And, and I'm, there's actually a scene in um, Fleabag. I don't know if you've seen the second season where she's no. talking with the therapist. And the therapist, after two minutes of talking with her, just says, you know what you're going to do. And then she's sitting across from the therapist and she goes, well, then what the fuck are you here for? What, why do I need you if I already know what I'm going to do? Aren't you supposed to tell me what to do? And she's just like, you know what you're going to do. And it's kind of the ironic thing, but everybody always does know kind of what to do. So then the advice giving just never is as successful. So um, you made me think about the context of that connection to an individual Mm -hmm. in a very authentic way in a sales sense. Because Mm -hmm. one thing that I've always struggled with is how to turn that into well, now believe in the thing that I'm telling you to do. Mm -hmm. Because so often I'm very good at identifying that thing and then it like sits there with their person and I have difficulty packaging it up and then saying, and here's the plan or whatever. Here's the strategy for how we are going to accomplish that. And I think a reason I haven't been able to get there is because I haven't had 100% confidence in the product that I'm selling. Mm, yeah, that's a big thing. People can sense hesitation. Well, and it's very, what we're doing is very experimental. So I, you know, yeah. so it's, I think, it's hard for me to go up there and yeah. be like, this is going to effing work. Yeah. it. Uh, oh, that's the, so be, you know, I have a startup and that is the hardest thing to do is to build the confidence of, I know this is going to work when you don't. When you don't. You have a great guess. You have a theory that you believe in and you have a solution you believe in, mm-hmm. but like to the hundred percent, you don't know it works, which nobody really knows anything a hundred percent anyways. Sure. So can you give us an example of how you were able to potentially get over that hurdle internally? Cause you, you definitely went into this meeting being over that hurdle. This meeting was over the hurdle. Yep. We know it works. We have data. It's yep. now we're moving into phase two, which everybody loves. Cause it's like, it's an open. You know, everybody. So here's the thing with the startup, which I think is the most complicated part of starting a business, is getting the first customer on board and getting those first few sales when all you have is an like idea. a hope and a prayer. Yeah. And it's getting it to a customer, not like raising money. People love this stuff. They're looking for Steve Jobs. They want to. They want to put their money somewhere yeah. though. So you're yeah. selling somebody who wants yeah. something. Who it's wants the, what you there's have? There's no risk. There's no risk. Oh, there's risk. Which but is well, I think that's a huge reason that a lot of startups effing suck. Oh yeah, because oh, they're bleep. so great at getting money from people who want to give them money, yeah. but they suck at getting money from people who don't, don't. necessarily. Yeah, want you gotta go. The, like that's the easy sell. To be honest, the hard sell. Is yeah. getting somebody to pay you money and risking their employees, their budget, everything yeah. they've got to you. That risk to them is a lot. Well, so, so again. So here's here's what helped. So try to make it risk-free. 
for them. Sure. Try to reduce the risk as much as you can. So pilot yep. and measure and say, if this doesn't work, you don't have to pay. Scot like, free, whatever. You know, like try to make that risk lower for them. Sure. But then the biggest thing that I really, you have to differentiate yourself yep. in a way that they haven't heard before. So what we did is we looked at a set of data and brought them an analysis back that they hadn't gotten before. So we, we delivered something to them that was valuable. And what we knew from talking with partners was they haven't figured this out and they've admitted they haven't figured it out. And they had an issue. They had an issue. So we knew it was like a thorn in their side. So what what I did is just make that thorn turn into a big gaping hole. And -hmm. I just asked them a ton of questions about it, what they're doing, you know. So they talked about, we tried to go and talk to everybody in our market to, you know, like they'd they'd shaken this tree. So they they had already... Mm-hmm. even tried to solve the problem themselves, yeah. which also is a really great thing because then you no longer are trying to tell people yeah. you have a big it's, gaping hole. They're like, oh, we already, we have a big gaping hole. And I just tried to open it up even more and kind yeah. of, and this is, so a really good book that I read is called Gap Selling. Gap. So you build the gap between where they are and where they want to be and you show them how big of a gap it is because people only move. And this was a friend of mine who's a, a really good salesman told me to read this book and he said you need to create that Was gap action mm-hmm. you need to create this gap <laughs> and make it as visible as possible so people feel like they th- just think about it like just which, make it a big which by the way gap. Is, is the best nickname for salesman of all time action action for sure i mean that's what you call betting. Like, do you want action on this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're gonna take we're salesman. gonna take action. Like, you just want action. Yeah. It means you're in business. You're in business. Movement. You got action. Action. So yeah. this create this gap and try to figure. Like, one thing we also did is we understood what was going on wrong. Sure. So we spent some time, three, two or three meetings, prior to meeting with the customer, understanding their situation from their partners and getting this. So tons of research and we built you know so the first sale was super complex because it it didn't require like us going to the customer and them like high-fiving and leaving the meeting it was like we met with everybody involved with them around them prior to this meeting sure we got as much information as possible we got some data we got some cases like we walked in with a really strong message and still kind of like a Yes, this is our theory. And then you just got to find somebody that is willing to take that risk. Take that risk, yeah. You got to find the right person because there's a lot of people that aren't that right person. Sure. And believe me, I've sat in a lot of meetings with a lot of people that you almost, even like 10 minutes in, you're like, this person, This is not going to work. Yeah. The, they're, they're asking me for case studies already and this is just not going to work. Sure. So it's like, you know, the search is so hard and I think the startup community does not do a good job of helping businesses with this part of it you know because what what i see happening and this is just from my viewpoint and i could be completely wrong is everybody's obsessed with raising money and then they raise money and they build a product they don't they're not required to be profitable because they have this monstrous bank account of money so let's just say you get a million bucks well you don't learn how to like sell cheaply you know like not spend all this money learning about them 
So you end up creating these companies that are just reliant on this cash influx Mm -hmm. from these other businesses. And like in order to, to survive, you just, you become a fat chicken, unfortunately. So then the money runs dry, the money runs dry and you got to, you know, go sell to people with more money instead of customers. So, Mm -hmm. well, um, we had chatted about actions nickname. What, what, uh, was your, I see he probably got that in high school. Yeah. There was like a, so it was a a comic and it was because of his last name. Sure. Sure. And so it made sense. You know, where most, most nicknames came from was AI AOL screen names. Yep. If you put that AOL screen name, yep. Like our younger brother, um, that was his screen name. What was Mo Money? Well, that was mine. Was that yours? That was mine. Huh. Yep. Huh. M O E. M O E. Yep. Interesting. Uh huh. So that, uh, but the seeds had been sown. Oh yeah. So to speak, because your nickname was Money. They called me Money. Yeah. Mo Money. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that was familial at this point. Mm-hmm. It was a a known entity. It was a passed yeah, down it, name. It was grandfathered a grandfathered name. It was a grandfathered name. All <laughs> of the Moen boys were known as Mo Money. Yeah. Yep. And people still call me that occasionally. They catch themselves or call because I, I get Mo a lot. You know, sometimes yeah. every once in a while. Mine You're, is Smo. Yep. That was. Uh, that's an easy one. That was that was notoriously well sat in. I don't know. It's pretty rare. There's. It's actually kind of funny because there's there's so few people who call me by Your my name. first name, mm-hmm. and I think that's so funny because these nicknames and be, sports mostly everybody just goes by the last name, right? Like, yeah, coaches call you the last name. Yep. So then everybody just starts calling you the last name. Like nobody Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever yep. it is, because there's too many first names. You can't be calling everybody out there by their first name, because then you'd be yelling Jake at everybody. Yeah. You know, Jake or Mike. Well, or, then you sound like everybody's mom. You know, yeah, you don't wanna, exactly. You don't yeah. have, like, the... The, the Randall. masculine. Randall. The masculine name. You call yeah. like, you know, Dirty Randy or something. Like, you got to think there's names that come out that have this certain... Was there, like, a name giver in your grade? Like, because um, I feel like there's some... Play, there's some people that really like to be the nickname giver. We had one in our grade. You know, um, there was. Um, I fancied myself a name giver. You're a name giver. Uh, and there was one gentleman in particular. He played center for the football team. His first name was Nico. Hmm. And um, love it. Yeah, a lot of opportunity. Uh, that's I mean, that's a blank that's canvas. That's a blank canvas. That's yeah. like, there's a lot you can do with that one. So um, he was about 270 pounds, six foot one. And Bowling ball. Yeah, big gentleman. Smart as a whip, too. I mean, just He's a nice Ape kid. Cal, great guy. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And um, the big show was a wrestler <laughs> around our time. So Which wrestling... It's was we big. can we could start talking about wrestling. That's could be let's, a topic. Let's we'll parking lot that one. We're gonna parking lot wrestling because, well, yeah. Anyway, so um, the big show. The big show is an it's in the vernacular. Let's mm-hmm. just say of our adolescent minds, and um, I don't know how I don't know how it got there, but 
Nico, we started calling the Nico Show, which went over pretty well. Oh yeah, yeah. He he got Everybody a kick out of that. that. That's a good one, the Nico Show. I like that. It's you know we were talking about nicknames and how there's like a there's a definitely negative. Like oh, there's yeah. a negative nickname, but then there's a lot of like positive ones that are just fun to yep. call somebody. You just like to use the name and you can see them like, I'm the Neek show. What's up? And the, <laughs> and the, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the nickname progression as well. Oh yeah. Because after the Neek show, we shortened it because the Neek show is just too long. So we started calling him the show. The show. Oh, and yeah. he's, he's about one of the most humble guys I've ever met. I mean, he just. Mm-hmm. nothing showy about him think mm-hmm. of everything that is not conor mcgregor you got this guy yeah and so we called him the show and obviously he loved it because he, he he had none of those characteristics about him whatsoever so mm-hmm. it was one of those sort of antithetical nicknames that was um that went over pretty well and that that was that was a fun one but i think you got somebody in mind who's who's a nickname giver in your in your bunch oh yeah we had a nickname giver who was more gregarious personality, temper the is one of the, the like early leaders. Can I can I venture a guess that it's the other leg of the action stool? No. Oh, it wasn't. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. No, it wasn't. He was a he was a nicknamer for sure, but that was more of like a is he a, is he a locker room guy? The the nicknamer. Uh, he's one of those guys that is likes to be seen as a leader. So it's okay. somebody who, um. And I won't. We won't have to name names. No, of course not. But, I just, uh, I just don't know who you're talking about. So give me a hint. Who? Oh yeah, yeah, yep. I know, I know who you're talking about. Okay. So this so, gentleman, yep. we'll call him the nicknamer. The nicknamer was he was kind of like everybody, everybody's best friend type. Very social. Social. I mean, really a good guy. Yep. He really Football was captain. a good guy. Football yep. captain. Very well known. And love to play pranks and jokes. And, you know, I had a ton of fun. And also love to dial up the nicknames. Okay. And really, like, make them unique. Can you give me an example? He changed my nickname. From? Smo. To? Simon Delivers. That was that was a um, that was a momentous leap. Yeah, that went, mean, it went from zero to 60. That was... That's that's brilliant right there. Yeah. Because at that time Simon Delivers was just becoming That was the big more thing. common and you had a you had a knack for delivering the basketball mm-hmm. in such a way that one could guess that it would have been a prearranged visit, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yep. With all of the ingredients it was necessary. A scheduled, it, was a scheduled <laughs> it was a scheduled visit. delivery. It was a scheduled delivery. <laughs> and I'm giving you the lettuce and then I'm going and dropping it off. But I'm going to drop off the meat next door. Yeah. So it was a, you know, that's again, a great nickname. A good nickname. Great nickname. And also very different. So Out that soon became classy. the screen name. Yep, that was that mm-hmm. was. That soon became the screen name, and of course you got to add the year in because that's sure. what everybody did. Yep. You know, that's what the graduated year, which was like you everybody know, you had to do it. Otherwise, who would know which senior class you were yeah, in? I mean, you know? you, there could Jeez. be two people that were Simon Delivers, and you needed there to separate a, who was which. Yeah. Well, and the there were so many AOL screen names at the time, it was actually pretty challenging to get one that didn't have some odd. Yeah, well, we came in late to the fray because we, we didn't have the game. internet. We had dial-up, yep. We didn't have yeah. AOL, which I remember asking We didn't have AOL, yeah, AOL, yeah, because it was Light quite a bit cable faster. cable never had it, which now I think it's a benefit, but back then... Mm-hmm. 
How else were you supposed to chat up nice fifth grade girls when you're in fifth grade? It's pretty tough. Your options are limited. Yeah, you, you didn't have Snapchat. No, we didn't have any of the cool didn't have things. TikTok. No oh my texting. gosh. Yeah, so anyway, are there any good nicknames that he bestowed upon the group that you can immediately recall? Because nicknames are extraordinarily important in a young man's life, mm-hmm. I, especially one who participates in athletics. And mm-hmm. just because of the coaches call you something, it gives you an identity. It's mm-hmm. um, you wear it like a badge. It it is a badge. It's a it's a form of social acceptance mm-hmm. if it's positively bestowed, such as Simon delivers. Which mm-hmm. let's t- let's chat about positively bestowed nicknames before we go into the bad ones because I have some horror stories too. Yeah, we got some bad ones. Which will those are those are a different way. the 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 positive ones, I think, the best way is when it comes from a moment in time. Sure. Like an event, yep. Which we'll go into the negative ones soon. Oh, <laughs> I think we're both thinking about the same <laughs> yeah, one. So the, not a one point conversion. <laughs> the well, a funny thing happened. This uh, a, one really funny thing happened, which was um, uh, a camp counselor called a friend of ours by the wrong name, and it's a very small error. Mundane. But we all picked up on it right away. We all didn't say anything for the entire week. And then we actually started calling that kid that name. So we made it even more. So What was the name? Dale. Dale. That is, that's far off. Yeah, that's it was far, far off. off. Yeah, so which makes that, it all the better. I which, mean, yeah. you know. And then we, of course, you know, the last day told him and he like freaked out and was mm-hmm. like mortified. But yeah. very entertaining. Yeah. Um, goodness. And I would say the overwhelming use of nicknames was in the negative sense. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. being young, well, we're immature young, gentlemen. Um, self-conscious. So um, there was one guy who had a speech impediment. So people, you know, called him by his name with the speech impediment as he would say it you know i mean that's that's jeering that's not mm-hmm. a nickname that's that's a, that's original. slanderous that's as well i mean original. that that has no desire to 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 bring people together and and nicknames can really do that there's a lot of there's a lot of i mean we had three brothers i, I can think of the nicknames or there are more like insults though yeah as we, opposed to nicknames we, they're barbs yeah they're yeah. trying to throw just to i mean as a boy of three, you always wanted the emotional edge, so you flip them off. It's just Did. you flip the top off. It's yep. fun to sometimes it creates more more fun for everybody. So yeah, that was kind of a way to do it. And I think calling the person by an undesired nickname was a straight shot to the kidney. It is. It is. And um, I mean, one of ours was when you drop a pass, call be called bricks, and that was the worst thing ever to have your hands be mm-hmm. thought of as bricks as a young kid. You know, you can't catch the ball. I mean, that was horrible. It is. Um, one of the only nicknames that ever got under my skin was being called a big nose, like that, because it was like moderately true. You know. Oh yeah. And so, it would, and I, I, it it was. It was, it was, but it was, it was just more cutting than anything. And mm-hmm. I mean, they're uh, the most egregious story that I can recall um, was this gentleman who, and this is a this is a poignant event that ends up defining the way that he is thought of in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a hockey player, and 
I don't recall the exact specifics. I believe it was on a bus ride home or after a practice or some sort of instance where there was a change happening and the guy was um, uh, putting on, or the, there was... Um, was there an opportunity for somebody else to... There was an opportunity for somebody else to see what was in this gentleman's pants. <laughs> and when I not see what's in the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this gentleman had unfortunately... Um, tr- relieved I don't, himself. He had relieved himself <laughs> inside Which of... the story is sponsored by JBU. Yeah, he should have had a pair of Jess Brown underwears because he could have ended up staying in the same high school as us, but... Um, <laughs> He was a hockey player, and hockey players are notoriously ruthless. And um, he was identified as having shit his pants, and he told a story about how he tried to fart, and some shit came out. He didn't. He didn't quite make it. He did not quite make it. So honest mistake for honest mistake. Yeah, I mean, he's just trying to relieve himself. He's he's just trying not to. He's really trying not to be the center of attention. Next thing you know, somebody bestows upon him the nickname Shart, and that's about as funny of a word (laughs) as you can have out there. Like just the you're in trouble. If if that's going to get tied to you, Louis C.K. has this thing about swear words, and he talks about the word the F word as like. Uh So satisfying to say. I think of shart. Shart. As about on that. Because you think of like, sh- like it's got so much emotion. I shart. In it. Well, it's it's extraordinarily descriptive. It is. For such a complicated, I mean, it's really not that complicated. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. If it happens to you, you might want to think about a pair of JessBrownUnderwear.com. Yeah. But um, they. You, you don't so, want to think about it. You just want to do it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, unlike thinking is the stuff that gets you in trouble. Unlike, as we all unlike know. if you're going to shart, you're. I mean, you you've done some thinking about what you're going to do if you have a sudden urge to shart. Yeah, I've usually found, there's I found thinking there's that's a, the problem. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you got to think before a fart, you better reconsider <laughs> you, yourself. You should be. You should be. <laughs> you, may, you should be taking some action. Get up and go to the bathroom. You should be close to a toilet. Yeah. With the immediate potential of being able to take off those trousers. Yeah. Because. If, yeah, that contemplation phase, is, yeah. you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Anyway, so this kid, he's he's called Shart, and um, it sticks. I mean, everybody just starts calling him Shart, and I think it was too much because he changed high schools. Wow. Yeah, and he uh, told people that it was because he was going to a better hockey program elsewhere and everybody knew that was a lie because he was sort of like a junior gold sort of JV guy. So he wasn't on varsity. Definitely not on varsity. He's not going to the league. Mm-hmm. And so he changes schools, goes to a different school, and I really do think it was largely because of that nickname. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. I mean, Just Brown Underwear says it's not what you can do for your underwear. It's what your underwear can do for you. <laughs> yeah. I think JFK said that quote. If you would set yourself up for success, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, could have saved that guy $8,000 a year tuition. Yep. Yeah, you think of a small investment, how that would have turned out positive, you know, just just food for thought. Food for thought. But I think these nicknames, when they get all negative, uh, they do really impact people. And I think when you're a young boy, you're just happy the attention is not on you that's all it's about mm-hmm. is is uh 
deflect. Yeah, like deflect. I'm going to survive this, and the easiest way is not to be the center of attention. Not to be the center, yep. and there, unfortunately, in a lot of groups, there's like the punching bag. There is the punching bag, mm-hmm. and uh, I think some groups, yep. which is kind of screwed up, bring a kid in to be the punching bag. Like some there's, do. there's, and the hard thing is when you got the kind of. You know, you've got the social hierarchy. Certainly. They're usually on the lower end, but they're so excited to be in that group. That they're willing to take That's the, punch. the dynamic that goes on, and it's just, it's a tough dynamic for everybody involved. And I'm sure we all feel bad about all the shit we said, and, you know, ever, oh, yeah. that, that doesn't create a really positive experience for a lot of people. No, but if you look at a pack of wild dogs, which is what I would liken the young, young adult, men. The, the young, young men, sort of uh, social scene to be like. There's a <laughs> lot of yipping and yapping. Dogs. There's a lot of yipping and yapping, snapping. Yeah, a little bit of grunting. Yeah, it's and, like you look at sled dogs. They basically are looking into each other's buttholes. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's well, going to be a lot of chatter back and forth. So one of the punching bags uh, at our school, unfortunately, had a. Um, mental disability. Mm. Uh, a doctor might say autism or FAS, who mm-hmm. knows. But um, he would oftentimes say erroneous things in order to get attention. And Oh, yeah. And we were, I wasn't really a part of this social group. I was very much on the periphery, but I was aware of this event because it was so significant. Mm-hmm. And one day there was a lunchroom conversation about eating an apple or about onions. Somebody didn't like onions. Mm. And this gentleman took it upon himself to say, I like onions. I like onions so much I eat them like apples. <laughs> oh. There is a guy who um, is a needler by all means. He's going to take something like that and he's going to make you pay. Opportunity. He's all, he also happens now to work for the FBI, mm. oddly enough. Mm. But he brings a onion to the lunch table the next day of school and table. slaps it on the table. Mm-hmm. There it is. And he goes, here you go. All right. Let's see it. Let's see it. <laughs> Let's see it. Johnny Onion Seed. Yeah. And so um, the guy proceeds to take one bite, which you got to give him credit for at least Good going in. Just attempt. And it didn't go very far. Oh. But uh, and And that was one of those instances, though, where... It was sort of endearing because, yeah, it was bad, but it was also one of the more memorable events. You know, it was mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm calling you on some bullshit. I'm not, like, trying to actually actually persecute who you are as a human. Yeah. You know, because there's, yeah, there's plenty the, of that, too. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was one of, the, one of the funner stories. I don't know. Any other good nicknames? What about college? Yeah, oh, we God. had a lot of good college nicknames. There were... Oh gosh. <laughs> we had one person that was basically a human robot. Yeah. And so like the and you could just see the processing going on in the middle and that's was a lot of fun and I think he had like six nicknames. There's you know there's some people that just like you want to call them a nickname cuz they have so many funny things about them. Um when when it's like endearing and done well, I just think it's really, really, really entertaining. I think one of the funnier ones that uh, I don't know the progression, but the gentleman's first name was Adam, and he 
ended up with the nickname of Saddam. Mm. And this was about the time of the invasion of Iraq. I mean, this is the Saddam Hussein thing is extremely fresh. And so people just call him Saddam and Mm -hmm. is to the point where um, girls would come over to our house and be like, why is his name Saddam? (laughs) Like he's not, he's not Middle Eastern. Uh, (laughs) That was, that was one that was in the fold. That was fun. It's, it is good when people don't even know their real names. And so they just yeah. call him by the nickname. Oh yeah, you, you get the new you get the new person the in the group, and then they yeah. start addressing that individual by the nickname. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the hard thing is when you join a group and everybody calls him the nickname. And do you have the authority to call him the nickname? Exactly. If have you friend? built enough social credit in order to be to to mm-hmm. be able to say that? Yeah. So like, what's up, Saddam? Like, oh shit, was I supposed to say exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know this kid. Yep. And like calling him Adam would then be weird. It would be weird. Yeah. Because you'd be like the one. And then you'd have to find that out somehow. Mm-hmm. But that's actually not his name, yeah? Yeah. I don't know. Nicknames, they're, uh, they run deep. We'll just say that. When I think when we were younger as kids, our family was all about Big nicknames. into the nicknames. A lot of familial nicknames. And, and good, those are usually good, like almost all of them probably ended in an IE. But, yep, but I'm going to say one. Oh, God. Well, if we're going to talk nicknames, we have to talk about the ultimate progression of nicknames ever. Hmm. Uncle S, sometimes called L. And um, (laughs) (laughs) this gentleman (laughs) uh, was not a part of my dad's uh, immediate family. He was a cousin, but they lived across the street, so he might as well be a brother. I mean, he was over there all the time. He was I would consider him my uncle right now and um, great guy obviously and there was a commercial on that um, was in the 1960s and it was a um, so there was a big rivalry between Jif and Skippy peanut butter Hmm. and um, our father's house had Skippy peanut butter and um how this gentleman's house was partial to Jif. And for whatever reason, there was this advertisement on where they, the slogan was choosy mothers choose Jif. <laughs> so they were trying to say like, you know, Oh, if you're better than people who buy Skippy, you know, yep. you buy Jif. So naturally, um, our, my my father and his un- his brothers, our uncle, started calling this gentleman Choosy. So <laughs> they called him Choosy for years, and nicknames morph as they do. So they, they uh, called him Choosy Mothers, Choosy Mother, shortened to Choosy Maz, Choosy Maz. And now people just call him Maz, Mazzy, hey Mazzy. <laughs> It's like, where does that come Talk from? Hey, wait, Mazi, how's it going? <laughs> just a logical, yeah, logical just, route. And you'll be at any family gathering, and people will just be hanging out going, ah, Mazi, how's it going? Ah, and it's, you're like... And Mazi isn't young. Mazi yeah, is an older gentleman. He's not a 12-year-old uh, boy. Uh, uh, that is, that'll go down in history. Another one I just got to give a shout-out. There's a guy. There's a guy in our family whose nickname whose nickname is Poke. 
People call him Pokey. <laughs> this, this is about the funniest. If you knew him from a personality <laughs> perspective, you'd be like, oh, it's man, that's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I think, there's, I, I think nicknames are extremely fun. Maz, I think, though. I'm going to tell a Maz story because... Um, Maz has a lots of stories. Maz was... Contribute. Maz contributed to the invention of what never really got off of the ground, but was encroaching on the high five because the high five was really taken off at this time in about 1968. Taken off. And um, this social group, including Maz, thought it would be imperative to try and start a new trend. Prior to pound. Prior to Prior pound. To the fist pound. Yep. And um, not to be confused with the fist pound. So the uh, so let's just say there's there's open market share right mm-hmm. now. The high five has emerged. It's got a monopoly over total the monopoly celebratory S- celebratory hand like gesture hug. market. Hug yep. doesn't happen. No, no, this no. Male. This is this is prior to any sort of you know men actually being affectionate sort of a thing. This is mm-hmm. the first foyer into male contact. Yeah, that men is don't not, even make eye contact at this point. That is hard. That if it's not a handshake, so. The slap hands becomes the market, and this social group doesn't think it has legs. Mm-mm. They they're not sure that the slap hand is really going to be what defines the cultural. The innovator's dilemma. Yeah, so they set out upon their own to come up with a new celebratory gesture, <laughs> shall we say? And what emerges is the Ning. And for those of you who don't know what the Ning is, um, essentially what it is is you take your two hands and you put them out in front of you. But make an equal sign. Um, yeah, you basically, so your palms are flat towards the floor and you make a vertical, you make an equal sign with your hands and then you kind of... Point it at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you point it at your bro. You point it at your bro. And then you just Who give him back. You give him a ning. You just kind of give him a little bit of push the arms out a little bit. Just give him a little like gesture. A little shot of energy. A little shot of energy. A little, you give him a, a ning. little ning energy. Here's a, here's a ning for you. <laughs> then you'd casually ning back. Mm-hmm. And um, what Casually. You, you can casually do that to your friends and look cool. Yep. There's. Yep, so it's possible to not look cool and do that. Pretty tough to not look cool and do the Ning. So I don't know if you Rumpus Room podcast listeners would like to bring back the Ning, um, go for it because uh, we're on board. And if you ever throw a Ning in this direction, you better believe you're getting, you're getting one back. One, you're going to get one, one come right back. Yeah. So uh, I think that was a that was. So it's there, it's still in the cultural fabric. It it ha, it's a sleeper, perhaps mm-hmm. it's a sleeper hand gesture because yeah. now now the market there's just so much opportunity. You've got the pound, you've got the double sort of you know two fist bump thing. Mm-hmm. You've got the fist bump to hand slap. You've got the you know the the you've the got all the all out handshake. That you've got doing the vertical they, handshake yeah. with the you slap go to the NBA on the back. And they're I doing mean, all oh, the my goodness. You got like the you got the vertical handshake at forty five degrees with the with the with the hand curl. Mm-hmm. You got teachers that are you know having a new unique handshake with every single one of their students who walks through the door. There's a there's a lot of opportunities. You got the so. butt slap, the you sports got, butt slap. Sure, and it, which is probably a, the original. Mm-hmm. Male celebratory gesture, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one goes all the way back to the priesthood. Which, uh, yeah, that goes back far, far away. Great work out there, Altar Boy. Yeah, here you go. Come on, get get in there. 
get on in there. Here you go. You're really carrying Good that for you. cross like you know, nah, like you know really what you're doing. You. <laughs> One thing that really mm. struck me as odd is when we played football, the most common celebratory gesture was a huge slap on the head, like a bang on the head. Yeah. So you'd come off, and it was like, good job. Here's right a little CTE for Like, you. let's just, let's just, just drop Just make you. sure you got your bell rung in that last play. Yeah, like, oh, did that hurt? Great job. Like, well, good hit. How about the head slam? I never really understood that one. Oh, Every we always, once in a we while. the psychos that did that. Oh, they do the, they pull the face mask in and give you a good old headbutt. Mm-hmm. Jeez, Louise, come on. Yeah, those guys. Like, are, I want that. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. My my thing is what I didn't understand when I played football is why everybody was obsessed with hitting each other. I my my whole thing was like, yeah, hitting is okay, but god damn it does it hurt. Like it mm-hmm. hurts so mm-hmm. bad. Are you talking in practice or are you talking All like in celebratory Even in games or like the actual act like of tackling? Like active hitting people. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. like I know that there's aggression and sometimes it feels good to like get out, but I have always, you know, my I was good at getting away from those hits, so that's why I did well, the aversion. But for me, I just, that, like, aggression, like, need to get the aggression. I remember, I mean, we loved wrestling with each other, so I totally get it. Sure, well, I I think I heard the greatest, um, like, explanation for why people have an affinity for violence, Mm -hmm. which um, was a gentleman who went in to start an ultimate fighting career and he was training and went into amateur fight and all that stuff and won two fights Mm -hmm. and then he just quit fairly suddenly Hmm. and I asked him about it once and I was like hey man why'd you end up quitting you know you're putting so much time and energy into it and he just said you know I'm not as angry as I used to be yeah and I was like whoa Mm. that's a pretty real explanation of somebody who just came to terms with you know their level of aggression yeah there's a lot of fighters out there who will say that if you're not literally willing to go to that next, I mean, if you're not, you might, you got to hang them up. If you're not yeah. willing to be like the more angry, frustrated, mm-hmm. you know, pissed off one, you're toast, mm-hmm. you're toast. So I, I think there's an element of that where, uh, people, it's a forum to let out aggression. So then people just go after it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You see those people screaming down at you all the time. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember, those are often the easiest people to juke out, though. Yeah, bad, they come bad with pursuit angles. Steam and you're Gosh, just, like, oh, just horrible yeah. pursuit angles. All right, here you go, buddy. Whoop, and mm-hmm. then they would just fly off. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the Ning. Ning is back. If you uh, if you if you can here first. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. But uh, that's all we got for you today. Tune in next week, and we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.